It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to Community Radio, KVMR, FM, Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Good evening. I'm Claudio Mendoza, and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. As California continues to dry out, fire chiefs across the state are pleading with people to take the fire threat seriously. Tonight, the California Report talks to Orange County Fire Chief Brian Fennessy about his wildfire fears and the dangers of fire complacency. After a brief look at local news and weather, Felton Pruitt interviews Reverend Jerry Farrell of Unity in the Gold Country Spiritual Center. We close with a commentary from Mark Cunaberti. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. State lawmakers passed a nearly $263 billion budget last night. It includes spending on a wide range of programs with an eye towards social equity. KQED's Katie Orr reports. Democratic lawmakers took several weeks to negotiate an agreement on the 2021-22 state budget, not because there was too little money, but because there was so much. The record-breaking spending plan expands Medi-Cal health coverage to eligible undocumented adults 50 and older, creates universal transitional kindergarten, and seeks to make the state's top public universities more accessible to in-state students. Assembly Budget Chair Phil Ting says it's a -a once-in-a-lifetime budget. This is a budget that really demonstrates that our values are protecting the most vulnerable families, the families who need our help the most in a time of a pandemic, but also well into the future. Republicans criticized the budget for being big on new spending, but short on details about how the money will be spent. For the California Report, I'm Katie Orr in Sacramento. Lawmakers also approved a bill last night that could speed up the timeline for a recall election against Governor Gavin Newsom. It was quickly signed by the governor. The measure expedites a required review of the cost estimate for a recall election, meaning it could be fast-tracked by as much as a month. Republicans blasted the move, saying Democrats are changing the rules in the middle of a campaign, further eroding the public's trust. And in more recall news, Governor Newsom is suing his own appointed Secretary of State, asking that his party preference be listed on the recall ballot. As was first reported by Courthouse News, the governor failed to include his party preference when filing initial paperwork more than a year ago. The lawsuit claims it was a mistake, and the governor's lawyers filed a notice of his party's preference once the mistake was discovered. Let's turn to the drought. It's already having a huge effect on some communities in California's Central Valley. The rural community of Teveston, which is about 40 miles north of Bakersfield in Tulare County, has been without running water since early this month, after the city's only functioning well broke down. Frank Galavez is a board member of the Teveston Community Services District. It is frustrating and depressing to not be able to have running water, to bathe the children, take a shower, wash clothes, wash dishes, wash your hands, and having to flush the toilet with a bucket of water. 
And Galaviz says water officials immediately contacted local and state agencies in an effort to supply the community of 700 residents with bottled water. Tanker trucks are also hauling water from nearby cities to fill Teveston's two water storage tanks. But the city is still waiting for the necessary parts to fix the broken down well, and it could take weeks to get it up and running. Galavis says the city has been through this before, but with forecast drought conditions this year, things have never been more dire. My wife and I are in our late 70s and have been married for 60 years. We have lived through many challenges. We both have survived cancer, but we will not be able to survive without water. Now, Teveston is in the process of building a new and modern well, but it's not expected to be completed for at least another year. Officials are hoping the State Water Resources Board can expedite funding for that project. Let's go from drought to fire. In recent days, major fires have broken out in L.A., Kern, Fresno, Modoc, and Butte counties. But fire officials say this could just be the start of things to come because of dry and dangerous conditions across the state. An added worry? Fires that could be sparked over the July 4th holiday because of illegal fireworks. At a gathering of federal, state, and local fire chiefs at a fire camp at the base of the San Gabriel Mountains, the officials pleaded with the public to take the threat seriously. Orange County Fire Chief Brian Fennessy spoke to the California Report. The conditions are far worse today than they were this time last year. Far worse. And they far were bad worse. last year. It was the worst ever. I mean, again, you, we went from the worst fire season ever at 1.9 million acres to last year at 4.3 million. So f as the fire chief for a very populous county, what's your level of anxiety right now? Well, it's high. You know, and I think, you know, the misnomer is, you know, I don't live next to a big open area. I don't live next to the forest. Well, you don't have to. You could live in an area, in a very urban area, that maybe has two-acre open space, five-acre, 20 acres. You get an ignition in that open space, your life and your property's at risk. Everybody's at risk. I imagine just in your professional life and personal life, you drive past too many homes that haven't done the rudimentary things to protect themselves from fires still. Yeah, you're, you're spot on. You know, we beat the we beat the drum all year long. Defensible space, dispensable, defensible space, and unfortunately, people don't always pay attention until either something happens close to them, or sadly, when they've lost property. And so, you know, the vegetation grows back. You got it one year. You know, you need to maintain that every year. Give us an opportunity to set up where we can defend, you know, the property that you have. If you don't do that, uh, you're really taking a risk, and uh, the likelihood of losing your property is very high. So I think largely people underestimate how fast fire is spreading. And, you know, if there's a question, if law enforcement the firefighters have not told you to evacuate, but you're even a little bit concerned, get out. Get out. All right. Chief Brian Fennessy of the Orange County Fire Department, thank you so much. Thank you, sir. Support for the California Report comes from California Healthcare Foundation, ensuring the voices of Californians are heard in California's decisions about health care. On the web at chcf.org slash voices. Paint Care. Now with 800 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. 
more at paintcare.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. And that is the California Report for Tuesday, June 29th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening and have a good day. Health officials in Los Angeles County are now recommending that everyone, regardless of vaccination status, wear masks indoors due to increased circulation of the highly transmissible Delta variant. The Delta variant was discovered in India, where it caused a spike in COVID cases before traveling around the globe. Cases are now rapidly rising here in the United States. Locally, with vaccine availability more widespread and local demand shrinking, the Nevada County Public Health Department is planning to reduce hours at the Whispering Pines Clinic throughout July. Vaccine opportunities will still be available at local pharmacies and clinics, and Nevada County residents can schedule their free appointment online at myturn.ca.gov or by calling one 833-422-4255. Once again, if you'd like to schedule a free appointment for a vaccination, the number to call is 1-833-422-4255. The Nevada County Coronavirus Dashboard is showing four new confirmed COVID-19 cases today for a total of 58 active cases here in our county. Seven people are hospitalized. According to Ubinet, over 95,000 vaccine doses have been administered to Nevada County residents. That's almost 54% of residents 18 and older. As water supplies continue to dwindle, the University of California says homeowners should concentrate on keeping trees healthy. A UC specialist describes trees as our most valuable landscape resource because of the shade, the cooling, and other benefits they provide. Other drought tips include irrigating landscapes in the morning to reduce evaporation, using mulch, and controlling weeds that compete with other plants for water. And now taking a look at regional weather for Nevada City and Grass Valley. Tonight, mostly clear with a low around 69. Tomorrow will be sunny with a high near 94. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, isolated showers and thunderstorms before 8 p.m., then mostly clear with a low around 54. Tomorrow will be sunny with a high near 84. And let's note that the National Weather Service has issued a red flag warning in the Truckee and Lake Tahoe area due to extreme fire danger because of strong winds and thunderstorms. The warning will remain in effect until 11 p.m. tonight. For Sacramento and Woodland, tonight clear with a low around 63. Tomorrow will be sunny with a high near 91.
Nevada County is home to many, many churches, temples, and places of worship. Felton Pruitt recently spoke with Reverend Jerry Farrell about Unity in the Gold Country Spiritual Center. We're talking with Reverend Jerry Farrell. He's the lead minister at the Unity in the Gold Country Spiritual Center in Grass Valley. Thank you for spending a few moments with us, Jerry. My pleasure. My pleasure. Explain to people what you folks do there. Okay. Well, Unity is uh, a smaller denomination in the United States, and a lot of people really haven't heard of us or often get us confused with uh, the Unitarian Universalists, but we, we are our own group. We've been around since about 1880, two mystics in the Midwest of all places, and Kansas City sought to evolve Christianity from where it was at that time into more of a spiritual and educational movement to help people. And it was based really on their own spiritual experiences, first-hand experiences. And they looked and studied across the world, and they kind of came up really with an amalgam of Eastern philosophy and Western Christianity. And the emphasis is really on uh, spiritual path, uh, spiritual practices, and universal spiritual principles. So it's very oriented to people discovering the divine within themselves. That's maybe the best way to put it, to empower people. Do you follow a gospel? You could say that we are culturally Christian. In other words, we come out of the Midwest, we come out of Christianity from that period, but how we interpret, for instance, who Jesus was and what his message was and uh, the Gospels or the Bible is very different from mainstream Christianity. We would use the historical critical method with which you know brings in a lot of other ideas into the message and we look for that deeper meaning. In other words, it, it's not a literal interpretation of Scripture. And a lot of those stories are meant to be metaphorical, allegorical. In other words, they're really, it's like reading the great myths. In other words, what, what are these stories telling me about myself? So while we come out of that sort of cultural Christian background, we are very different in our understanding of things. And in fact, in the early history of unity, you know, we were considered a cult because we were so off the rails as far as they were concerned. Are you adding a practical outlook to old-time thinking? Very good. In fact, the byline for unity has been that it's practical Christianity. And again, that brings it back to something more akin. I've often said that maybe the best the best thing that I can compare us to maybe is even the tradition of Alcoholics Anonymous. In other words, it's a lot of spiritual wisdom, universal spiritualism, and people helping others to discover that for themselves and sharing their ups and downs with trying to do that. So it's more of a spiritual path where you're committed to really practicing these principles in the nitty-gritty of your life every day, with the understanding, of course, that you'll have challenges, you'll fail, and so there's a community then here to back you up and to help you. I know that one of the things you're really focused on now is helping people in, I guess we're in a post-COVID 
situation now. We're kind of hopefully well, moving outwards, although maybe we're not. Who knows? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, in fact, on this morning's paper, I um, read something that they're anticipating that by next year we could have a thousand deaths a day again. So who knows? We're certainly in this moment here in California, we are seemingly in a post-COVID moment. And, you know, this this is very challenging, obviously, for a spiritual community. You know, we started having services again in person on Easter Sunday with the 25% with social distancing, all of that. And only uh, just last Sunday, we had, you know, the full opening where everybody could come back and there were no masks and no social distancing. So, yeah, it's like the swing of the pendulum, you know, from one week, month to the next, who knows where we're going to be. We were endeavoring to really provide support at this time for the congregation after they've been in isolation for a year, three months, and also really wanting to let the community out there know that we have a very alive community that we were on Zoom throughout this whole time. And, um, you know, people, I mean, last Sunday when they came up to me and were talking, it was like this was a lifeline, literally. For them, I mean, people talked about that they were suicidal from time to time during that whole time, or they were severely depressed, or just feeling so isolated. And the various classes, you know, that we do online, and then the Sunday service was like, in one sense, you know, all they had, and that that it was so vital for their well-being. And you know, unity is all about like a holistic approach to the human being. You know. We need to look at all of, you know, people, their psyche, their emotional life, their spiritual life, their physical life. So we try to provide things that will touch all of those on an ongoing basis. We're talking with Reverend Jerry Farrell, the lead minister at the Unity in the Gold Country Spiritual Center in Grass Valley. When are your services? We have a service on Sunday morning at 1030, and it's still and will be still on Zoom. Do you have any special outreach for people, too, that you offer? Well, obviously, I'm available. We have chaplains who are always available to meet with anybody from the general public, not just our congregants. People can always just call in and say, hey, I'd like to talk to someone. How would they do that? And what number would they call? They can call 274-2463. You know, we'd be happy to to listen, to meet in person, or, you know, whatever people would would like. Tell people the address of the church. Oh, okay. Well, if you know where Peaceful Valley Nursery is, we're right across the street. It's Whispering Pines is the main street there, and then we're on Cambridge Court, 180 Cambridge Court. So it's just up off of either Brunswick or Idaho, Maryland. Well, we've been talking with Reverend Jerry Farrell, the lead minister at the Unity in the Gold Country Spiritual Center. If people wanted to get in touch with you uh, once again, is there a website that you guys have as well? Yes, unitygold.us. We thank you for sharing the time and all of your work, Jerry. Thank you. We close tonight with a commentary by Mark Cunaberti about inflation and the living wage.
Welcome to another edition of Money Matters. My name is Mark Cunaberti. In a recent newscast, I covered how the Employment Development Department and their lucrative bonus payments to the unemployed has essentially made the national $15 an hour minimum wage debate a mute point. Another contentious debate, called the living wage debate, will likely now be turned on its head as the higher wages forced up by the EDD payments will result in exposing the vicious cycle of wage push inflation and its effect on the living wage. Not only has the minimum wage debate been obsoleted by the EDD payments, those same payments are now causing even faster inflation in the economy than previously witnessed. We can see this new wage push inflation as businesses are now, in many cases, offering over $15 an hour to entice potential workers to get off the couch and come back to work. As inflation takes off, I have seen more and more commentary stating that the $15 an hour rate which was previously determined by some to approach the so-called living wage, is now grossly inefficient as consumer prices skyrocket. There is a reason why what once was determined to be at least close to a sufficient wage is now quickly being dismissed as grossly deficient. Plainly put, an economic reality is taking hold. Although higher wages are not the sole cause for higher consumer prices, higher wages coupled with the recent soaring commodity prices are crippling business balance sheets as operational costs soar. In a free market environment, businesses will always pass increased costs onto the consumer through higher prices, and that is what is occurring. Inflation is starting to burn hot, and that is confirmed by the most recent inflation data out from Uncle Sam, which shows an annual inflation rate of over 4%. Many analysts claim government inflation figures vastly understate the real inflation rate, and if that is true, the real rate might be even higher. What happens next is why the living wage proponents are calling for even higher wages. As wages rise, consumer prices follow. Therefore, with each increase in the wage rate, inflation rises even faster, negating the previous increases. A vicious cycle, yet a familiar one to astute economists. Many argue against the very concept of a living wage, saying it is arbitrary and doesn't consider geographic realities, among other considerations. An example would be the cost of living in New York compared to living in Modesto. Others claim a more sinister thing is at work here. Wage inflation will always push consumer costs faster and higher than a so-called sufficient living wage. Because of this fact, many argue, including this analyst, that the living wage debate is a nonsensical argument. Since it is an accepted fundamental in the study of economics that wages will always lag consumer price inflation, the argument is put forth that the living wage can never be reached by mandating wages even higher. In fact, those very same mandates may be the cause of the problem. Inflation will always outrun wages, and it is why some find themselves repeatedly calling for an even higher wage and then wondering why it is never enough. Opponents to the minimum wage mandates, which include opposing the very concept of a so-called living wage, which, by the way, is an arbitrary opinion depending on who's making the argument, point to the fact that an unmolested capitalistic system would correct wage inflation conflicts. The argument is extended to address the failure of the current capitalistic system as one that has been highly manipulated away from capitalism and more towards massive intervention which distorts the checks and balances of the capitalistic system. The result is what we see now, insufficient wage rates, exasperated by rising prices, and a constant call for higher and higher wages to meet the so-called living wage. No matter which side of the argument one believes, we must consider that a true solution to a problem solves it. Conversely, repeated attempts signify failure. 
The minimum wage has been raised 22 times to combat inflation. As a result, the living wage proponents are constantly calling for even higher wage rates in response to inflation. The cycle is akin to a cat chasing its tail, which is an exercise in futility. In conclusion, this would lean into the argument that income inequality is at least partially caused by inflation, which in turn owes its existence to the very wage policies that attempt to correct it. That does it for today's Money Matters. The opinions expressed are my opinions only and may not reflect those of this station, its staff, management, or underwriters. I hold California Insurance License OL34249 and I'm a Medicare-approved agent in the state of California. Our website is moneymanagementradio.com, where everything is free. Our way of saying thank you for listening to your community radio station. My name's Mark Greenberg. That's our newscast for tonight. The KVMR Evening News airs Monday through Friday from 6 to 6.30 p.m. You can listen to this and previous newscasts on our website, kvmr.org. For their support of Community Radio, we'd like to thank Ben Franklin Crafts. Locally owned, and this month Ben Franklin is celebrating World Knit in Public Day with yarn, needles, and more. Ben Franklin Crafts on Sutton Way, Grass Valley. Online at benfranklin-crafts.com And Weiss Landscaping, with over 75 years of generational experience in landscape architecture, design, and installation. Weiss Landscaping crews are educated, experienced, and provide accountability with warranties on craftsmanship, installations, and irrigation projects. GoWeissLandscaping.com Stick around. Coming up is Food Sleuth. This week, host Melinda Hemmelgarn talks with award-winning journalist H. Claire Brown about her investigation into prison labor in our food system. Thanks very much for listening. I'm Claudio Mendoza. Have a great evening, and I'll see you on Thursday.